Hello again, my wonderful podcast friends. I am Justin Kavanaugh, and welcome to The Spice of the Autumn Night, a weekly podcast in which I read to you my unedited, unpolished, rough draft novel that I wrote for National Novel Writing Month in November 2018. That is right. I wrote a 50,000-word novel in 30 days, and I think it goes without saying at this point, but it's become a tradition. The book is absolute bullshit. But that's okay, because I am sharing it with you, bearing my soul, bearing my ridiculous creative process, one bizarre chapter at a time. This week, we tip over the halfway point by cracking into chapter seven of The Spice of the Autumn Night, in which Carolyn prepares in earnest for her long-awaited meeting with Jean-Pierre. But as she readies herself for her long overdue in spicening, is everything really as rosy as it appears? Chapter seven. Carolyn felt as if she had just gone deaf blind, and lost her senses of smell, taste, and touch all at once. Her heart was pounding, and she broke out into a cold sweat as she struggled to reply. Where? she croaked, her voice suddenly dry. We found him at the Euphoria Fish Spa, said Fanny, while we were having lunch. He overheard us talking about you, and he approached our table. Wait a minute, said Marcy Marcy. How can you be sure it was really him? Yeah, said Carolyn, dizzy from the news. I cannot take another false alarm. Please tell me you have some way to be certain. As a matter of fact, we do, said Fanny. He told us that on the night you left Nairobi to come back home, he took you to a waterfall in the Karura Forest, sat you down on a patch of boggy earth, and recited a poem to you. Carolyn closed her eyes, replaying the bittersweet memory in her mind. Yes, she said slowly, while stroking her own face as if her hand was a surrogate for Jean-Pierre's. And the poem was... Fanny and Carolyn spoke the words in unison. Jeu de Pomme by André Chénier. Yes, exclaimed Fanny. It was him. And, said Theodora, swinging the cord of her kimono cardigan around in a swirl as she spoke. He wants to meet you tomorrow. Carolyn was speechless. I can't believe I'm hearing this, she said, struggling to catch the breath in her chest. How? Why? When? I have so many questions. Don't you worry, my darling Carolyn, said Theodora, still swinging the cord of her kimono cardigan. We are going to make sure that you are ready for the spice of your life. We've got it all set up, said Fanny. You are going to spend the entire morning and early afternoon getting a full makeover and custom style. And when you meet Jean-Pierre for a romantic dinner for two tomorrow night, he won't be able to take his eyes off of you. Carolyn struggled to hold back the tears that threatened to spill forth from her face. 
I can't believe this, she said. I don't know what to say. How about let's do this, said Theodora. After all, this is what we all came all this way for. Yeah, said Fanny. Theodora and I talked about it earlier this evening, and we felt terrible for some of the things we said this morning. Even though we both have developed a new and revitalizing belief in the spice of the autumn night, and we both have the wonderful new men in our lives to thank for that, we really should be thanking you most of all. I, for one, know that if I hadn't come along on this trip, said Theodora, that I would still be at home in Derby Falls, answering phones at the mayor's office, and wishing that I could have the quick and painless release of an early death. But now I am on top of the world, and I have a spice merchant named Reginald who does nothing but keep me happy and full of his zesty, flavorful spice all day and night. Enough of all this talk, said Marcy Marcy. It's getting late, and if you don't get at least 11 hours of sleep tonight, you are going to look like a big ball of crap tomorrow, and no amount of spa treatments or sparkly-styled clothing will fix that. She added, It would be a real shame for you to have gotten this far, and for Jean-Pierre to take one look at you from across the room and run out of the place shouting obscenities and vomiting all over the place. Marcy Marcy is right said Fanny. You need your beauty sleep tonight, and that's why we are going to let you take the master suite for yourself. Marcy Marcy can bunk with us in the second bedroom. Uh, no, uh, said Marcy Marcy. I didn't agree to this. What about my beauty sleep? You can have, uh, we can, Theodora stammered, struggling to find the words. We can help you next time. The four ladies scampered up the grand oaken staircase, each of them eager to let their dreams take them away, and each of them thinking of a different, fantastical scenario that would embolden and enlighten their spirit and take them to the next highest plane of existence. Carolyn was grateful to have the large, well-appointed master bedroom suite to herself for the night. The space was so comforting, like being at home, but a version of home without an uncaring husband and needy children and mortgages and car payments and other financial and spiritual obligations. She felt carefree, but at the same time burdened by the weight of the events scheduled to take place the next day. As she slipped out of her shoes and into a pair of isotoner micro-terry hoodback slippers with thinsulate and shuffled into the ensuite bathroom to undertake her evening routine, she thought about her life back home in Derby Falls. She thought about Dirk, to whom she'd made a sacred vow before her friends and family so many years ago to love him, to honor him, and to cherish him until death parted them. She scoffed. That's a bunch of nonsense. Dirk and Carolyn had never truly been in love. Sure, they learned to appreciate and value each other, and after nearly two decades of marriage and four children, Carolyn could honestly say that she felt there was a bond of love between them, but their relationship had never developed into one stoked by the fires of passion. Transactional, whispered Carolyn sorrowfully. 
That was the word Carolyn used nearly 15 years ago when she worked up the courage to visit a therapist and discuss her feelings, with the initial hope of discovering the source of her problems and solving them. It was a mistake. Her therapist, the untrustworthy Dr. Numi Vubertim, Ph.D., was an active member of the Derby Falls Community Fellowship, and within a week of Carolyn's first and only appointment with him, half of the congregation had secondhand knowledge of every sordid detail of Carolyn and Dirk's unhappy marriage. Carolyn had reported Dr. Vubertim to the State Board of Ethics, but nothing came of it. The case had been brushed quietly under the rug, and Carolyn had learned a painful lesson about who not to trust in the healing professions. Despite the transactional nature of her marriage and the excitement about recapturing her spice by meeting Jean-Pierre tomorrow, Carolyn couldn't help feel a little guilty about turning her back on Dirk. After all, they had built a very comfortable life together, and he knew things about her that she could never trust another soul to know. Of course, her heart was a grand canyon of secrets that were unknown to Dirk, but she was finding it difficult to write off the nearly two decades of his companionship as insignificant. "'Oh, Grandmother Fimbity,' she said, her voice cracking with emotion. "'I really need your wisdom now. Where are you?' Nothing happened. Carolyn was desperate, and she knelt down beside her bed for the first time since she was a young child. Grandmother Fimbity, I know you're out there, and you're watching over me. I really need your advice now. I'm starting to have second thoughts about this. Sure, when I came to Nairobi with Theodora and Fanny and Marcy Marcy, it was with a dream in my heart and a hope in my head. But now that they have succeeded in locating Jean-Pierre and he wants to meet me tomorrow night, everything is getting too real. I am scared, Grandmother, and I need to know if I'm doing the right thing. Carolyn waited for the familiar white glow of light that served as an announcement that Grandmother Fimbity was to make an imminent appearance. But none came. Carolyn looked around the room, hopeful that the ghostly visage of her dead grandmother would soon appear in one corner or another. "'Why are you ignoring me now, grandmother?' Carolyn said desperately. "'I need you more than I've ever needed you before, and you're neglecting me. Why, grandmother Fimbity? Why now?' Carolyn stood up and purposefully walked across the room to the stately wardrobe and threw open the doors." She rummaged around inside the wardrobe, frantically tossing aside her own clothes and about a half dozen cans of Pringles potato chips that Marcy Marcy had managed to smuggle inside the country before she finally found what she was looking for. Carolyn held up a small, arrowhead-shaped pendant, its multifaceted crystal angles catching the light and reflecting it onto the walls in a sea of rippling and rotating blue shapes. "'Do you see this, Grandmother?' said Carolyn, a haughty cackle in her voice. Theodora told me you were a hopeless alcoholic and that you died a penniless nobody. Well, look at this, grandmother. Carolyn raised the pendant even higher, her hands coming dangerously close to the quickly oscillating ceiling fan. This was yours, grandmother. This pendant that you bequeathed to me on your deathbed. Get a good look at it, grandmother. Do you remember? 
I have kept it all these years because it has made me feel close to you, but no longer. You abandoned me in this my greatest hour of need, and I have no place in my heart for you any longer, Grandmother. As far as I am concerned, you never existed. Carolyn let out a low, guttural moan that erupted from somewhere within her that she had never known existed. It rasped and cackled, and despite Carolyn saying no words, the sentiment behind the awful haunting noise was palpable. Carolyn dashed across the room to the large French doors and cast them open. The air smelt of ozone, signaling the beginnings of an impending rainstorm. Carolyn looked out into the sky and saw it alight, the blackness streaked with bolts of lightning snaking their way across the firmament. This is for you, Grandmother! Let's see how you like how it feels to be ignored and discarded like a piece of used facial tissue! Carolyn, remembering track and field day in her high school gym class, cradled the pendant in her hand and raised it to just below her right ear. Then, with a feverish abandon that only a woman at the end of her desperate rope could muster, she spun around and launched the pendant, shot-put style, into the dark street below. Carolyn didn't know where it landed, and a crash of thunder had obscured the moment when it finally made contact with the ground but Carolyn felt a tremendous relief regardless. "'Who needs cryptic advice from a dead woman anyway?' cracked Carolyn. "'I'm in charge of my own destiny, and tomorrow I'm going to get my spice back or die trying.'" The storm that swept through Nairobi overnight had left behind an early morning that was fresh and crisp, and as the four ladies prepared for their big day, the winds were still in the process of dying down. Carolyn was up early, the freedom of leaving behind her grandmother Fimbity imbuing her with a newfound confidence. She had already eaten breakfast, jogged three miles, showered, and dressed for the day by the time the sun rose and the others had emerged from their slumbers. "'Goodness, Carolyn,' said Fanny. "'That must have been some dream you had last night.' "'What are you talking about?' asked Carolyn, between sips of freshly brewed coffee. "'I never heard such a racket,' said Fanny. "'I thought you were making love,' chimed in Theodora." You know, said Carolyn, the old me would have been embarrassed that you overheard me carrying on last night, especially since the thunderstorm wasn't able to drown it out. But the new me is proud to say that I spent the better part of last night in a long and emotional argument with the ghost of my dead grandmother. Fanny, Theodora, and Marcy Marcy said nothing, just looked at Carolyn with expressions that telegraphed their disbelief. "'I know what you're all thinking,' said Carolyn. "'But it's about time I quit trying to base all of my life's decisions on what some dead woman says when she comes to visit me in my dreams.' "'Here, here,' said Theodora, raising her mug of coffee in an impromptu toast." I know you loved your grandmother, but it wasn't healthy for you to have such high expectations of her. 
You're right, said Carolyn. And I've learned something in this experience. I have learned that I need to stop being such a sentimental idiot and go grab my spice wherever I can get it. Fanny and Theodora looked thrilled at this new, confident Carolyn, and for the first time since they arrived, each of them believed that Carolyn would indeed find her spice. "'Well, we'd better hurry,' said Marcy Marcy. "'We've got a lot of work to do before tonight, and Jean-Pierre is expecting to see a goddess, so we don't have a moment to lose.' The spa treatments made Carolyn feel like a new woman, the second time in two days she had felt reborn. For hour after hour, she basked in the warmth of the authentic Finnish spana, wrapped from shoulders to ankles in genuine Indian Ocean seaweed from the western shores of Banda Aceh. The gunky paste that had been slathered onto every inch of her body before being covered in seaweed was doing wonders in slurping out every last bit of toxins, and the mixture of creams, lotions, and potions that Carolyn was wearing on her face made her feel at least twenty years younger. "'Wow!' said Fanny, after Carolyn had been freed from the confines of the seaweed wrap and her face had been given a thorough scrubbing. If I didn't know better, I'd think I was looking at someone who'd never gone a day without spice in her entire life. Fanny and Carolyn giggled and jumped up and down, triumphant in the success of the spa treatments. Now, we need to get you in some clothes that will really show off your assets, said Fanny, but that simultaneously minimizes your trouble spots, said Theodora, or at least as many of them as possible. Leave that to me, said Fanny. While you were in the seaweed wrap, I took the liberty of having some dresses sent over from one of the most exclusive women's boutiques in all of Kenya. You didn't, said Carolyn in disbelief. I did, said Fanny. You mean you had sent over some original designs by the one, the only, Mr. Dimitri? All three ladies shouted in unison. The same, said Fanny. Every single dress is a guaranteed original. You're a lucky woman, said Theodora. I would kill to get to wear an original Mr. Dimitri. I hope there's something in a classic basic black, said Carolyn. Oh, forget basic black said Fanny. I have curated a collection that will make you stand out like the amazing woman you are, and will make Jean-Pierre want to whip out every bit of spice he has and give it to you toot sweet. Okay, said Carolyn, her grandmother spurning, husband deserting, confidence wavering just a tad. You're right, Fanny. Let's do it. Carolyn sipped the sangria slowly, enjoying the fruit flavors as they danced over her tongue. She was early for her rendezvous with Jean-Pierre, but that gave her the opportunity to survey the entire place, find a seat where she could spot Jean-Pierre as soon as he walked in, and give her a bit of an upper hand in the whole situation, which went a long way to calm her nerves. Fanny and Theodora had made arrangements for Jean-Pierre to meet her at nine o'clock, just when the jazz band would begin their set. 
As she waited, she caught a glimpse of a man in the throng of diners and drinkers and jazz enthusiasts. The man was approaching her table, and as soon as she recognized him, she immediately braced her table for a possible impact and made sure her sangria was secure in its position. Hi, said Ted as he got closer. I see you saw me coming. Carolyn released her death grip on the small table. Yeah, forgive me, but I only brought so many clothes with me to Nairobi, and I can't afford to ruin any more of them with sangria stains. I understand, said Ted. It was really nice to see you yesterday at the novel hovel. Yeah, said Carolyn, keeping her eyes on the door and barely looking at Ted. Listen, I hate to sound rude or forward, but can I ask you something? Ted seemed relieved. Oh, wow, I can't believe this. I was going to ask you the same thing. I so enjoyed getting to speak with you, and I flatter myself to think you might be interested in me, too. Would you want to grab a coffee or dinner sometime? Um, mm, said Carolyn flatly. That's not what I was going to ask you. Ted's expression turned crestfallen. It wasn't? No, said Carolyn. Actually, I was going to ask you if you wouldn't mind leaving me be. I'm expecting someone, and I don't want him to think that you're my date or something. Oh, sure, said Ted. I understand completely. Is this the Jean-Pierre your friend was talking about? As a matter of fact, Carolyn said. Yes. Now, I hate to have to ask again, but would you mind leaving? He's supposed to be here any moment, and I really am counting on trying to make a good impression. Ted nodded. Sure. Enjoy your night. He set off to leave, but after a few steps, turned back and said, This Jean-Pierre is a lucky guy. Yeah, thanks, Carolyn said impatiently. Goodbye now. Ted departed, his head hung low, and Carolyn checked her makeup in her small hand mirror. She wanted everything to be absolutely perfect when Jean-Pierre walked through the door and back into her life. Carolyn had expected the jazz band to play one of its incredibly long and loud sets, but after a few short numbers, the band evacuated the stage and turned over the place to a bunch of middle-aged men bearing fiddles and pipes and lutes. The soft strains of some Renaissance-themed instrumental music echoed out into the venue, and although Carolyn initially found it extremely bizarre, after a few minutes she found herself tapping her feet in time with the rhythm and melody of ye oldie-timey music. But it was the few minutes that bothered her. She hadn't expected to be kept waiting this long. Surely Jean-Pierre should have arrived by now, she thought but the man was nowhere to be found. From across the large room, Marcy Marcy sat alone at the table for one, awkwardly positioning her menu in front of her face and peering out over the top of it as if she were a rookie secret agent on a stakeout. At the bar, Fanny and Curtis could be seen speaking quickly with energetic, animated gestures punctuating their conversation. They had no awareness of their surroundings, so enraptured were they in each other's intellectual company. Likewise, Theodore and Reginald had left early, the smoldering fire within their respective loins being too smoky hot to ignore. 
Carolyn presumed that Theodora had taken Reginald back to the guest house, and the two were currently in the middle of a feverish round of middle-aged coitus. Her eyes darted back and forth between Fanny and Marcy Marcy, wondering what was taking so long. She pulled her phone out of her handbag and fired off a quick text to Marcy Marcy. Where is he? Am I being stood up? Carolyn continued looking around the room while she waited for a reply from Marcy Marcy. A moment or two later, it came. It's looking like it. That was absolutely not the answer that Carolyn had wanted to hear. She finished the last drop of her sangria and got up from the booth. She quickly made eye contact with both Marcy Marcy and Fanny and gestured toward the door as she made a beeline for the exit, tears welling up in her eyes. When all three ladies had assembled on the pavement outside the curb, when all three ladies had assembled on the pavement outside the club, Carolyn could hold back her emotions no longer. What is going on? Why isn't Jean-Pierre here? She said, words stumbling over each other as she unleashed the full force of her feelings. I don't understand, said Fanny. He said he would be here right at nine o'clock. Well, it's almost 9.30, and he's nowhere to be found, said Carolyn. I'm sure he has a perfectly good reason, said Marcy Marcy. Yeah, said Carolyn ruefully. Like he walked in, took one look at me, and ran away. Not possible, said Fanny. What other explanation could there be? asked Carolyn, her voice tinged with a pained desperation. It could be any number of things, said Marcy Marcy. Traffic. He could be sick. He might not have been able to find the right outfit. Carolyn looked down at her dress, the genuine Mr. Dimitri that made her feel and look like a million dollars. I feel so foolish, said Carolyn. I can't believe I led myself to believe that finding the spice of the autumn night would be so easy. Who am I kidding? Carolyn turned from the entrance to the club, with Marcy Marcy and Fanny following behind. Where are you going? asked Fanny. Back to the guest house, said Carolyn tearfully, to get back in bed and forget this day ever happened. Wait, said Marcy Marcy. What if he shows up and you're not here? Then he will know firsthand exactly how he made me feel tonight. And that is the end of The Spice of the Autumn Night, Chapter 7. While you heard correctly at the top of the show, The Spice of the Autumn Night comprises 13 absurd chapters, and we have just completed Chapter 7. That means we are now more than halfway through the book, but I promise the level of quality to which you have grown accustomed over these past seven weeks remains constant right through to the end of the book. Just so you know, you can call into the podcast using the Anchor mobile app. If you'd like to ask questions or you have comments about the characters or the story, call in. I'd love to hear your voice. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter at Justin Kav. That's J-U-S-T-I-N-K-A-V. The Spice of the Autumn Night was written, produced, and presented by me, 
Justin Kavanagh. New episodes are released every weekend. If you enjoyed this episode of The Spice of the Autumn Night, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We are on all of them. Thanks also to Jody Morgan for her wonderful cover art. You can see more of her amazing photographs at unsplash.com slash two lucky spoons. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you all next week for Chapter 8 of The Spice of the Autumn Night.